just to reorganize and uh, summarize first we have the notion if you recall that there's a concept called the self the I, the ego, the person, whatever you want to refer to it as but there's a concept called the self now every individual has a will and in other words people want things, they desire, they wish certain things now the content of the will meaning whatever you want is motivation you're motivated to do what you want what you desire so obviously the content of the will of the rotsen is going to be your motivation and what I've been going into now is the idea that what presents itself which what you are margish what you feel going on all the time in your body is what's called different kinds of urges needs drives all different kinds of urges now in order to satisfy those urges they then become the object of what you want in other words the fact that you experience urges then your motive then of course is to fulfill those urges so therefore your will or what you want is to fulfill those kind of urges that you experience now as opposed to the urges which you want to fulfill because you're experiencing them there's the intellect the, the intellect is the instrument used by the individual to correctly perceive and understand reality truth by your mind you're able to understand perceive, interpret, reason you're able to understand what is really true and this is the intellect but the, the idea is that the intellect in other words what you perceive to be true is in is at variance it's not compatible with your urges in other words if you perceive the truth then what you begin to draw the conclusion is that what is true namely there are mitzvahs what you can and cannot do and so on these are not compatible with the urges that you have so what do you do on one side you have urges all different kinds of desires in certain directions and on the other side you have a, you have the intellect or you have the ability to perceive truth and the truth is not compatible with what you want so what do you do so therefore people also have what's called a defense mechanism and if you recall a defense mechanism is a mechanism or device which an individual or people can use and they do use in order to conceal and distort truth as a result of the fact that he conceals and he distorts truth a person can now deceive himself he can delude himself into thinking that it's okay to fulfill my urges he's not bothered by the truth which the intellect reaches in other words a person is able to suspend the thinking of the mind he's able to interfere with the mind's ability to correctly perceive what truth is he's able to do that he does it by the operation or device called the defense mechanism as a result of that he does not perceive truth anymore the same way he perceives it now in such a way where it is now totally compatible with his urges with his needs so what we see then is that the needs drive an individual into distorting truth in other words he distorts 
the intellect in its perception of truth and as a result of that there's a tremendous amount of deception that the person practices and he's now able to do what he wants in the first place and what is that? that is the fulfillment of urges that he wants all along now as I had mentioned previously psychology looks at the the rationale for a defense mechanism or the rationale of why a person is able to distort truth in order to avert anxiety by concealing and distorting the truth meaning a, if you recall an uh, intolerable conscious situation and by not looking at that if you recall a person averts anxiety he doesn't feel anxious and therefore is able to maintain his life productivity this is all psychologists understand about the meaning and rationale of a defense mechanism however as I pointed out in Chazal and in Ashkofo, the primary reason for a defense mechanism is not to avert anxiety. It's to allow an individual to have a choice of either doing a chet or not a chet. And as I pointed out, if a person could not deceive himself, then he would be faced with his urges on one side, what he wants to do, and his understanding of truth on the other side, which is Terah and Mitzvah and he would not be able to do a chet. So therefore the Rebbe Shalom aids the, yitz, the Yitzhahara by giving an, every person the ability to deceive himself by distorting and concealing the truth. Therefore he now can do what he wants, namely to fill the urges. So the rationale for defense mechanisms, according to Torah, is not only to avert anxiety, which is also a need, but basically to be able to be put in a position where you can do a chet if you so choose. If you do not have the ability to deceive yourself, you could never do chatoim. So therefore, even you would, not, you would have no alternative choice to freely choose. You can only choose good, because that's much more powerful. So therefore, the defense mechanism has arisen because to give you the opportunity to fool yourself and also do a chet. And I pointed out previously, last time, that we see this from which simply means that the defense mechanism exists in order that you should be able to do a chet if you so choose so this is what we had spoken basically until now now besides that the Yet Sahara now has a tremendous aid what is that? The aid is that a person can deceive himself from what he knows to be true, namely Torah mitzvahs, and he could somehow make the urges compatible with truth. So by distorting truth, he now could say, well, it's okay if I engage in pleasures or whatever the Torah doesn't want me to, because somehow he can justify and rationalize those actions. But these still would not be strong enough. It wouldn't, the Yetzirah still could not combat the Yetzirah so strong is the desire, the urge of a person to live in accordance with valued truth. And of course he would then search for truth. The Yetzirah therefore would not be able to get a person to go in his direction. So therefore there would be no mechoma, no conflict. Then of course if there's no conflict, there's only one side you choose automatically, which is Tev. Well obviously you need a conflict, you need a choice between good and evil in order to get Ulam Habba. So therefore the whole purpose is to reject the evil side and accept the good. If there's no alternative, if there's no reason to reject evil, or rather, if there's every reason to reject evil, then obviously you're not dealing with an equal conflict. 
So what the Rebbe Shalom does is he has to give the Yitzhahara another means of helping the Yitzhahara work. It's not enough that a man can deceive himself. He needs more than that in order to fool himself what the truth is and go after his needs. And what is that? That is what's indicated in Chazal. And, uh, the Chazal say, the Medrash says that Moshe Rabbeinu was writing in the Torah, Nasa Odom B'Tzalmenu Kidmuseinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was writing. God said to, to Moshe Rabbeinu to write in the Torah, let us make man in our image, in our form. So Moshe turned to the Rebbeinu and he said, how could you write this? I mean, you obviously put in something which is false. It says, Nasa, let us make man. It sounds like there's a multiplicity of gods. There's more than one God. How do you write this in the Torah? Which is a very valid objection. So Rabbi Shalom turned to Moshe and said, It's okay. Call her Anybody who wants to make an error, let him go and make an error. It's okay. It doesn't make a difference. If he wants to form himself, let him form himself. Now, what does Rabbi Shalom say to Moshe Rabbeinu? It doesn't take away the idea that it says Naseh. It's a false idea. It says Naseh, let us make, which automatically indicates a plurality of gods. Why is the Rabbi Shalom putting something in the Torah which will mislead people? And not only mislead people, it's false. There is no plurality of gods. So we're not talking only about misleading, we're talking about a falsehood. What does the Rebbe answer, Moshe Rabbeinu? But the truth is that the Rebbe answers Moshe Rabbeinu a profound principle. And that is that the Rebbe didn't say, he didn't say that, well, I don't care if people are going to look at false information. He didn't say that. What the Rebbe said is, Kol if a person wants to fool himself, but never it's hard for him to fool himself because reality is so obvious that he can't fool himself, I will make reality conform in such a way where it's possible to look at reality and it should be misleading to help this person fool himself and do a chet. Call her If a person wants to make an error, let him make an error. What does that mean? Chazal say that every time it says in the Torah, something which could indicate some kind of minus, apicosis, the tshuva is betzida, the answer, that which would refute that interpretation of apicosis is by its side. So therefore, if it says, let us make man in our image, in our form, the refutation that nasa cannot mean plurality of individuals is by its side. Where do you see it? Because it says, by Yivro Elokim es ha'odom b'tzalmoi. And God created to borrow. By Yivro is a, is a singular verb. It means God created. There's only one God. And it says b'tzalmoi in His image. It doesn't say God created man in their images. So automatically, you see that there's only one God. So then what does the word nasa mean? Let us. Us is not referring to the plurality of beings, of divine beings. It's referring to the plurality of majesty. When a king talks, he talks the plurality we. King talks, he always refers to we. It's the same idea. So we see that in the same idea is also Bereshit's Baro Kim. In the beginning, gods created, the Lokim is plural, but Baro is singular. So again, you have the same idea. That there's a word in the Torah that could possibly mislead into thinking an error, but the tshuva, the refutation for that error, is always on its side. Baro is a singular verb. So therefore we see that the version put into reality, into the world, phenomena, which can be misleading. 
But if you really think about it, you could see that it's not true. In other words, there are many phenomena which we look at that could mislead us into thinking of errors, that there's more than one God, that there's no God, or whatever. But the answer or the refutation of those phenomena is also side by side in the reality. So the question is, why does the version have to put a misleading item and then put the tshuva on its side? Let him also, let him put the obvious truth. And the answer to that is that it would not be possible for a man to do a chet. Because even if you could deceive yourself, let's say you want to do a chet, right? You have the need, right? But you've got to fool yourself. The truth is too obvious. So you, therefore you're able to deceive yourself. We see that's the whole reason why you have the powers of deception. To deceive yourself what is true, and there you can make that compatible with your needs or urges. But even if you could deceive yourself, if phenomena in reality did not lend itself to some kind of misinterpretation, you still couldn't fool yourself. Because reality is open. So therefore the Rebunishan made reality in such a way, many different ideas and phenomena in reality, where it could be misinterpreted, in other words, it can be interpreted in two directions. He wants to look for atheistic ideas in reality, you will find it. He wants to look for truth, we'll also find it. But the idea is that reality is misleading. You can interpret falsehood, but there is no falsehood in reality. It's still all true. This is the Yisoyed, the principle that we derive from the idea of Anybody wants to make a mistake, let him come and make a mistake. So the emphasis is on the idea of anybody who wants to make a mistake. There are people who want to make a mistake, like the Maisai Toya Rav Chaim and the Min. This person wanted not to believe in a God. He doesn't want to believe in a being that's going to impose limits on his desires. So therefore he wants not to believe in a God. But Nebuch is having a hard time doing it. So therefore the Rebbe has given him an easier time. He's given reality in such a way where he can have questions on that reality. And as a result of that he now says, Oh, you know I don't, I don't believe in God? Because I have a lot of kashas. But those are not kashas. Those are terutsim. Those misinterpretations enable him to maintain his posture of being a min so he can fulfill his taibas. That is the fundamental idea that comes out of that medrash. Now, to be more concrete, I want to discuss one area where we see it really beautifully illustrated. How if a person wants to mislead himself in reality, he can. And how if you look at reality, the truth is still there. There's a well-known and famous doctrine called evolution. Now, I don't want to go into the, all the ideas of evolution, but just as no gear to us. The idea of evolution, of course, they say, of course, Darwin and scientists, of course, that man evolved. Mankind evolved from lower species. And man was not created by a supreme being. This is basically the gist of evolution. That man evolved by chance. The random chance operations of physical forces interacting with each other is what brought all life and mankind together. It was not the acts of a supreme being. Now, You'll notice that evolution spread tremendously. It spread very rapidly, and, it would, and today it's accepted as if it's dogma. Why did it spread so rapidly? Because Nebuch the Apicurism had a very difficult time. Why? Because people don't want to believe in God. They don't want to because they want to fulfill needs and tithes and gaiva, whatever. But it's very difficult to refute obvious questions. 
Then who created life? Number one. And how do you account for the tremendous diversity of species? There's so many forms of life. Millions of different forms. There are 40 different thousand species of beetles alone. One beetle looking different from the other beetle. There are hundreds, thousands and thousands of different species of animals. Hundreds of thousands of different species of plants. How do you account for the diversity of species? Besides, how do you account for the formation of life? And Nebuch, they had a very difficult time answering that. So if they would be, come up with Kursim, they have to action ein. They had to be stubborn and say, even though the reality is contrary, I still don't believe in the Rebbein So what happened is evolution came and gave them the Pesach. It gave them the ability. It gave them the, uh, the uh, device that they can now say, oh, you see, here's why I don't believe in God. I, now I can have an understanding in science why these questions have a real basis uh, and are really valid. So therefore, the fact that it spread was because of this reason. Because Apikursim were looking for a Pesach not to believe in God, but they had to deal with these questions. And evolution gave them the wherewithal how they can scientifically and respectively deny the existence of God and call themselves true objective scientists. That's what it did. And you should know it's a murdic unish for the Bria that or that the idea that evolution can exist even is an unish because whenever you have really when because uh, evolution really spread only now the fact that the rebellion gave the, the ability of people to fool themselves and therefore remain apikosim or become apikosim is really an unish because it, of course the truth is not like that and therefore the fact that they can be led into that way is really for their own detriment because they obviously are not seeing the truth. But it's an unish because of the entire flow of history that they insist on being chote. So therefore, if you recall in the ideas of Simpson, therefore God's presence must be more and more absent from the Bria in accordance with man's action. Therefore, the Yetzirah, the Sitra Akhra, has the ability to fool man even more. So therefore, the ideas of evolution, of course, have tremendous hatzlocha. But if we look at evolution, what is basically evolution based on? Well, like I said, they have to deal with two ideas. The first idea is the origin of life. Where did life originate? And of course, they try to deal with it in the sense that it, it originated because in the beginning of whatever, millions and millions of billions of years ago, whatever they say, there was no life. And then somehow, because there were certain elements, hydrogen and nitrogen, other elements, and then you had lightning bolts, electrical storms, whatever, all of a sudden the first living thing took place. A cell, probably wasn't even a cell because even a cell is too complex. Something that they call life began because of these chemical interactions. Okay, this is what they say. Now, of course, so what they try to do is they, one guy conducted an experiment where he put a, a tank and he put many different gases and, and elements. What he thought the way the world looked at many millions and billions of years ago, okay, and what he did is he subjected that tank to a lot of electrical charges, lightning bolts. And lo and behold, when he studied the tank, he saw that there were more complex molecules than what he put into the tank. So from that he derived that this is the origin of life, that he actually was able to make more complex molecules. Therefore he said life originated this way. Okay, this is what he said. Now, of course, that's absurd, because there's a billion miles between a complex molecule and, and, and uh, a DNA molecule or whatever. But the idea was that it's a Pesach. 
he actually was able to make a more complex molecule with certain physical phenomena. So he said that this is what happened to Khatkhila. What does this have to do with life in its incredibly complex forms? I don't know. But for him it was enough. Because the process by where you can make a more complex molecule that begins to resemble some of the complexity of human forms was enough for him to delude himself. Therefore everybody grabbed onto it because they want to grab onto it. And they said the origin of life happened not because of a God, but because of evolutionary processes. But you see how flimsy was the idea that they grab onto. But again, it's enough to fool people. Then they had to explain, well, how do you account for the diversity of so many thousands and hundreds of thousands of different species? Because even if life originated, there was only one thing. It wasn't many forms, right? So how do you account for the hundreds of thousands of different forms of life? So first Darwin tried to say, well, because a thing acquired its characteristics in a natural way, like a giraffe tried to reach for the leaves, so it began stretching its neck muscles. But Darwin had a very difficult problem because we know that something which, uh, if you acquire characteristics, characteristic, you cannot, you cannot inherit it to your offspring. So Nebuch, the people had a big problem explaining how do you have the diversity of species because Darwin's theory didn't make sense, at least the, uh, that operation did not make sense. So people, of course, came out with a new brilliant idea called mutation. Now, there's a real phenomenon called mutation. In other words, as a result of cosmic rays which bombard the Earth constantly, cells are affected, sometimes, okay? And what happens is that there is a real change in the cell. So therefore, they came up with a mutation, a phenomena, which is capable of changing living forms, cells, right? And they said, oh, this is the way it happened, because constant mutations over millions of years actually brought out different forms. Now, of course, when one looks at mutation itself as a, as a physical phenomenon, one begins to see, number one, that it infrequently happens. Number two, that whenever it does happen, it's always detrimental to the species. It's never good. It always removes something from the species. For instance, if a person is a mutant, maybe he lacks arms or whatever, it doesn't change it in any form which is beneficial. All mutations are detrimental to the species. And the third deficiency is that nobody has ever seen a mutation make a new organ or anything complex. The most mutation will do is make a very simple change. But we're talking about the entire forms of life, each one so radically different from each other. A fly is as different from a man as night is today. And we're talking about extremely complex organs and tissues and so on. But it was enough, the phenomenon of mutation was enough to say that this is what made diversity of species. But Chuvosa mutation cannot account for this incredible diversity of species in its incredible complexity. But it was enough for people who want to believe in uh, Apicosis or Minus. For them it was enough. That is how the idea of Koloroitsu Litus Yovivite is illustrated. That people look at phenomena and they want to believe in phenomena as illustrating certain ideas and then it's compatible with their desire to go after their urges. But of course the tshuva is betzida. And this is, and I gave a concrete example of evolution as a classic example of how this works. In fact, there was a book written by a guy, Robert Jastrow, 
who's a very famous astronomer, and he's a Jew, but he's, he's completely fried. He wrote a, a book called Have Astronomers Found God? And he points out the fact that the, the astronomical theories are pointing to the belief that a God started the universe. And that Einstein, when it was pointed out to Einstein, was very disturbed by this evidence. And Jastra writes, remember, this talking about he's a Fryid, he's not a Fromid, he has nothing to gain. He says he finds it very unusual why scientists leave the cool-headedness of objective, objective truth and begin feeling as if there's something bothering them. But to us it's obvious that Einstein, no matter who it is, are very much bothered by the fact whenever the evidence begins pointing in the direction of a supreme being. Why? Because they don't want to believe in a supreme being which is going to limit their own arrogance and grandiosity and urges. So therefore they look for all sorts of scientific evidences which refute the idea of a supreme being. But the idea is Shuvosa Bitsida. If you really look at the phenomenon, it always indicates that it cannot answer what scientists wanted to answer. And the reason why they take it for themselves is because they want to use it as a terrence to be a min, to keep on not believing in the Rebbe Islam. And just to show you one other classic example because it's worthwhile spending, the idea, the whole idea of apes, man descending from the apes, which is another classic of evolution. Of course, the Yiddishkeit is preposterous, besides the fact that it's Keneged, Tselem Elohim, and an ape is not in the uh, Tselem Elohim. But the interesting fi- the idea about it is, where do we see Chazal talking about apes? And who came from who? So if you look in the Medrash, the Medrash says openly that in the generation of Enosh, after Noah, after uh, Odom, mankind was tremendously sinful. And the Russian brought a marble, but a very, it did not destroy the world. But what happens is that Rebbe punished mankind, and it says there that the Rebbe cha- changed some of the men into apes. It says, <coughs> it says, Nishtanu the Kaifas. The Rebbe took away the Tselem Elohim from the man, and he made him an ape. And it says also by the Doha Flogger, when they built the tower to go up more with God, the Gemara says, besides the Medrash, <coughs> that the Rebbe took these people those individuals who said we want a war with God he took those people and he changed them into apes so if anything we believe that apes come from men not the reverse and the Raya Dava besides the Medrash and the Chazal the Gemara is what bracha do you make when you see an ape you know what bracha you make and you do make a bracha by the way you say Baruch HaTo Hashem Elokeinu Melchalom Mishana Habrias Mishana Habrias means Blessed is God who changed Brias. It's claw. When you make when you see an ape, you make a bracha Mishana Brias. Because we believe that apes come from men because they were Khitim. And the Rebbe took away the Etzelam Kim and he, 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 he and that's how the whole species of apes developed. That's why they look so human. And why they are chimpanzees are next to man and porpoises are the most intelligent of all animals. Because they were once men. Whatever However, that proceeded. So therefore, we see immediately Chazal's answer to the whole idea of <coughs> the descent of man from apes. But of course, evolutionists want to believe the reverse because, of course, it fits in with their terutsim that they can now can say that we, of course, descended from apes. And just one more idea which I discovered recently is that there's a discovery that <coughs> somebody found a while back 
an ape-like creature that walks erect. Now that is very interesting because apes do not walk erect. They walk on fours, they can stand erect and they can try to walk a little erect but their spines are so shaped where they really walk on their fours. If you'll see if you go to the zoo. So then what does it mean that he found an ape because the whole jaw is an ape structure but yet the spine was an erect spine. And he, of course, uh, we're assuming that everything else is true, that he found it in one location, and that it's all from one speed, one from one organism, one animal. Maybe it was different a- animals, basically. But assuming it's true, how do we explain the fact that you have an ape walking erect like a man? Right? Of course, he wanted to say that's how they started. And it was apes were first apes, and then they began to walk erect, and then finally their face changed to man. How, where do we see Chazal Faket? And we know Chazal say Faket, that apes came from man. But if they came from man, then why isn't it ape? Why is it still walking erect? Right? Good kasha. So I found in the Bre- in Breshis Rabbah, Mamish in the same place where it says that apes were changed from men, it says that by the Doha Flogger, the Loshan is that Nishtanu Lekoifus, that men were changed to be apes. But when it says that God did that, the first time it says Nishtanu Pneem Leos Kekofus. Yeah. The Medrash says claw that God changed the tsura, the face, only to be like apes. He did, it says it says clearly that the rest of the body was not changed like apes. But since man continued on being Khoite, the rest of the by the door of Flogger, he changed them completely into apes. So Chazal automatically are telling you that you may find a species that looks like an ape and walks erect. It's much from the Medrash you see that. But in any case, I just wanted to go into some of the ideas of how Chazal understand evolution and of course how the evolutionists understand evolution. But evolution is the classic way where they fool themselves into seeing that there's no supreme being and all it is is merely a teretz. And it's an illustration of the principle of kolharoitzelitois that's what it means. So what do we see? What fundamental principles can we now organize as a result of all the different shurim about the Sitra Akra or the Sahara? We begin to see that first of all man has a seichel, man has an intellect, whereby he reasons, he understands, he perceives reality. And not only that, but he correctly perceives reality. This is what we see. He can perceive reality without revelation. He can see it merely by his own seichel, as I had talked about Rabbi Akiva in the, in the proof by design, that a person by his own intellect, without revelation, God does not have to reveal himself to man. Look like Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu perceived the revelation before the revelation was got himself to him. So we see that a man has an intellect, he's capable of seeing reality, he's capable of seeing the revelation without revelation. He can see the truth without revelation, merely by reason itself. We see that the urges, the needs and drives of a person, influences a person, his rotten, to suspend his intellect and make it inoperative, or else to distort it in such a fashion where what the, the intellect perceives, which is truth, will not be in opposition to his urges and needs. He'll now have, he'll now be compatible with what he wants to fulfill. A person can distort, conceal truth, 
Therefore, he now deceives himself and he's now able to fulfill urges in compatibility with the truth. Because the desire to fulfill needs gets the rotten, the person, to suspend the intellect and actually to see things in accordance with, with his needs. So we see a person can do that. And that is an aid, of course, for the Sitra Akhra. We see also that what are these urges? That the urges are, as I had mentioned, for pleasure, for productivity, for power, for potency, for a sense of self, that these are the urges of man. And one of the fundamental urges is that man wants to believe himself supreme. Why? Because if he believes in a divine being, he will have to ask himself, what does that divine being want? A purpose. So he may have to limit his own urges and taivas in order to do what the Rabbanishtim wants. So he has every reason in the world not to want to believe in God. And this is the impetus of atheist and minim. <clears throat> we see that the way a person enables himself to fool himself and therefore do what he wants to do is what's called a defense mechanism. And a defense mechanism nothing more than the capacity or the device which enables a person to deceive himself and therefore not see the truth and therefore fulfill the urges. And we also see that reality has false cues. It has phenomena which can be interpreted as lending support for your meanness and apicursus. However, the tshuva, the real interpretation always lies by its side. Once we understand these principles, we now can go back to try to answer some of the questions that were asked previously. And what were the questions? You remember the first question? It says, So I had asked, Chazal say, Thou shalt not go after, Levav from your heart. So Chazal say, Levav from your heart, Zuminis. This is atheism. This is immorality. So I ask, what does the idea of minus, of atheism, have to do with heart? Atheism is a mistake or an error of the mind, of the intellect. What does it have to do with your heart? Well, now it's obvious. You are a min because of your heart, because of your desires and needs. That's why you're a min. Not because reality is such where you really perceive the lack of of a Rabbanish Shalom in it. Because reality itself is so obvious where you immediately see the Rabbanish Shalom. But your desires wanna want, you want to hide yourself from that perception. So therefore, it's Levavchem, your needs, your urges, which makes you a min, not your mind. Your intellect would make you a maimin. Your urges make you a min. You see? So Levavchem is minus. Because the error or a person becomes a min, not because his intellect is faulty, because there's enough proof in reality, as I mentioned previously, the design and complexity of the universe, to achieve an emissary immunah, just like Avraham Avinu did. But what blinds a person is his lave, is his needs and urges. Therefore, he distorts his seichel, he deceives himself, and therefore he believes in minus. That's why levavchem is minus. The second question I ask is, it says, But wait a minute. It says, you shall not go after your heart and then your eyes. But it's the reverse. First, don't, it should say, you do, do not go after your eyes. And then after you see something, that's when you want it. 
So it says, Lo yisusuru achri enechem, and then achri levavchem. But the answer again is obvious. You see what you want. Your seeing depends on your wants. That's why it says, Lo yisusuru achri levavchem, then be achri enechem. Okay? You don't see something. Your wants don't go after your seeing. Your seeing goes after you want. You want to believe in atheism. You want to make or fulfill your tithes. But mainly you'll see things in accordance with that direction. So in other words, the perception of man follows his needs and desires, not the reverse. His needs and desires do not follow his perception. It's a toss. The Torah has the right order. We have the incorrect order. It's like, Do not go after your heart. Get rid of those urges. And therefore you won't go after your eyes. The urges dictate your perception. Not your perception dictates the urges. That's the answer to the second question. The third question was, Wait a minute. It's a mitzvah to believe in the Rabbanishnam. But if it's a mitzvah to believe in Rabbanishnam, we find the greatest philosophical minds made mistakes about that. And not only that, a mitzvah is also on a 13-year-old child. So obviously he also has to believe in God. So how can you ask a 13-year-old child to believe in the Rebbeinu when Aristotle made a mistake, Socrates made a mistake, and all the fa- Leibniz and so on? And the answer again is the same. That the, in order to believe in the Rebbeinu requires very little effort because the intellect merely by proper observation will come to the idea that there is a God and therefore you begin trying to understand what is the Rebbeinu's purpose because all since everything was created it looks like it has a purpose a design so there's a reason to assume that man himself also has a design and you begin questioning what that is and you try to find out what does God want the ideas were so obvious that Rabbi Akiva said to that man look at your garment who made your garment obviously it was a weaver so just like a garment testifies to its a weaver and a house to a builder the universe testifies to the fact that there must be a maker that has a purpose and you must go look for the purpose. You have to fight against that to believe the obvious. And what does it? Your urges and the ability, the fact that you have the powers of deception and the fact that reality can be deceptive. That's why people make mistakes. I don't care if it's Aristotle, Leibniz, or any of the famous goyim. It doesn't make a difference. These people were not objective in their search for truth because they wanted to believe in all sorts of fanciful ideas in order to avoid the understanding that the Israel was a specific purpose. So therefore the Rebbeinu Shalom truly anybody, even a 13-year-old child, to believe in the Rebbeinu Because that's how obvious it is, as I pointed out, that the Eight Sahara has a terrible time against the Eight Sahara and the Rebbeinu has to help it in different ways. But it's still the intellect can perceive truth in an obvious way. The reason why people do not perceive truth is because the urges gives rise to the truth or the perceptions of a man. In other words, what a person sees in the end is complete subjective truth, not objective truth. And that's why the Rebbeinu can have tarumas to goyim. And that was the other question I asked. What, what, what tarumas can you have to a goyim? It's not a goyim's fault. But the answer is that it's easy to be a maimon on anybody because these questions are universal questions the belief in a god is a universal belief that can be understood by any man people do not want to search for truth 
Because people don't want to know truth. Look around you. How many people search for truth? How many people engage in discussions about what exists, what a person should be doing? How many persons engage in philosophical arguments, assuming that they don't know about theory yet? Very few. Everybody's into having a great time. Because that's all people want, is to have a great time. And even those great thinkers who want to engage in a search for truth are still bounded by their needs and urges. And they still want to have a good time. So even though they perceive some of the truth, it's still going to be tremendously distorted. So in the end, reversion can have tarums to any person, whether it be a person 13 years old, whether it be Aristotle, whether it be any Goyu who is born in Africa, it doesn't make a difference. If a person would subjugate his needs, he would perceive truth. Because truth is that obvious if a person really wants to search for it. So that answers four questions. Now the last question I ask is, what about... The Rebbeinshim gives you a commandment to believe in God. Yeah, but how do you do that commandment? How? If God says put on film, so there's an avoider, there's a conflict. I know how to go about putting on film. But if the Rebbeinshim says to you, believe in God, how do you go about that, really? How do you go about inculcating in yourself a real belief in the Rebbeinshim? Besides that, I'll ask two more questions. The Rebbeinshim says, it says that, Alavai, they would save me, because Klai Yisrael in the time of the Vim were forsaking the Rebbeinshim. So the Rebbeinshim says that they are Uzev, they are being forsaken me. So God said, Alavai, they should forsake me, but they should still learn my Torah. Because the Or Shebor, the light in the Torah, would be Machzeh the Torah, would restore the Jews to the truth. So the question is, how does Torah restore a person to truth? How does Torah work? What is the mechanism of Torah? And we find another Chazal. It says, Barasi Yitzhah I created the Yitzhah Barasi Torah Tavlin. I created the Torah as an antidote, as a spice, connected the Yitzhah But how? How does Torah enable one to perceive truth? Because the fact that truth is not enough, because scientists study truth, they study reality, yet they themselves are misled. So why is a person, even if he studies truth in the Torah, he's also going to distort the Torah itself. We find many times a person distorting Torah. Many times you'll find that Tan Chochum was also murdered by Gaiva at the same time. So if Torah was to enable you to get truth, why is this guy about Gaiva? Why do you find people who learn Torah murdered Bali Taiva? What's, I thought the Torah had the wherewithal to fight the Eight Sahara, right? It has the wherewithal, but how? How do you account for the fact that people who learn Torah are still many times Bali Taiva and Bal Gaiva? And the fact that you pursue truth does not mean you're going to wind up with truth. Because people who, let's say scientists who try to study the truth, do make many mistakes. So then what is the mechanism? It can't be that the Torah offers the truth only. So the question is, what is meant by Torah? Tavlimine. What does the version mean by Alavai that Yidin should study Torah and that would return him to perceive me? And the first question, the original question, what does a person do to achieve a Muna? And the answer is really very simple. The only thing you really have to do to achieve a Muna is to work on your midas, on your needs. If you can subjugate and control your needs, your urges, you will then be able to perceive objective reality. And you'll be able to see what's really there. Why? The Torah is a unique book. Why? 
Because it's not only a sefer that tells you to search for truth, it tells you to work on yourself to subjugate your needs. Because the Rebbeim is aware that as long as you allow your needs to dominate, <clears throat> you will never perceive the truth, even if it's given to you. And that's why people who learn Torah and Bagayim and Bagatayim are still that way because they're not an even on their midas. Mainly, they just take a look at Torah and it's also distorted. The truth itself becomes distorted because they still their urges still dominate them. The desire to engage in pleasure still dominates them. The same idea with a scientist. Even though he's trying to understand reality and perceive it, but it's only to understand what's good and how he will benefit from that reality. To make another machine, to sell another device, to make some more money. As long as you pursue truth, it's only subjective because your needs force you to perceive truth in accordance with what you want to look at it. Objective truth can only be pursued if you subjugate your Kaivas, your needs and urges. So therefore, as part of Torah, the Rabbanishim gave you an entire Avodah. And the Avodah says that you must subjugate your Midas, or rather you have to get Midas, you have to subjugate your Kaivas. Besides that, the Torah also offers the truth. But you can only appreciate and accept the truth of Torah by subjugating Kaivas. That's why Midas is a Keli for a Heksha. That's why, why is Midas so important to acquire? Because as long as you do not have Midas, as long as you, not, you have not worked on your Taivas and Gaiva, you cannot know even Torah. You'll still be about Gaiva. You'll be about Gaiva by the fact that you know Torah. You'll merely use Torah in your own urges and needs. You've got to work on the needs to subjugate and control them. Then, if you do that, you can then learn the truth of Torah and use the objective truth of Torah. That is the Torah mechanism. You've got to use both. Torah is a tavlin. When you work on the needs, then you can perceive the truth. And the Rebbe said, if they learn Torah and work on their medias, they'll again come back to me and perceive me as the truth. This is the only way it works. And therefore, when a person works on medias, mainly he's able to be masig emunah. That's how you come to emunah. Merely by perceiving objective truth. But how? You've got to work on your taiva, your needs. That's fundamental. And Avraham Avinu was only able to perceive the Rav because he worked and controlled on every ava in his body. In fact, it says that Avraham Avinu had control over every single ava, every urge, every interest. And when he had the brismila, he had complete control. What did that mean? That meant that he was able to perceive the Rav objectively, which truly everybody can. So therefore, that answers the questions, and it gives us the idea of the Eight Sahara and how it works, and the real Torah mechanism that you must be able to work on self. Then you can also perceive the truth of Torah. Now, if you recall, there are basically six requirements for Olam Hazer. In other words, once the Rebbeinu had determined that Olam Hazer is necessary, in other words, that man has to work for his reward. There then arose the requirements. There has to be six different requirements for ilm hazir, for this place where a person could earn his reward. Now, the first requirement is the idea that there has to be an Adam. There has to be a Nivra. There has to be a created being who will be placed in this situation of ilm hazir, 
and who also will be the recipient of the toiv, the good that the Rebbe Shalom wants to give him in the future. Besides the subject, which is the Adam, there has to be a situation of deficiency and perfection. In other words, the world has to have a situation whereby it's deficient, and then the task would be to make it perfect. In order for somebody to do a job, if you recall, then obviously there has to be something to do. If man has to earn his reward, there has to be some way he can earn it. But if everything is perfect, there's nothing he can do to begin earning it. So obviously there has to be some kind of deficiency in this world, and the task of man would be to perfect or to remove that deficiency. And if you recall, the Rebbe Shalom created in Oil Mazer a deficiency. And what was that deficiency? The concealment of himself. In other words, there's a hester of the Rebbe Shalom that the Rebbe Shalom was master upon of. He concealed himself from the universe. And the purpose of man is to bring the Rebbe Shalom back into the universe or that man must recognize the Rebbe Shalom in the universe. So the, the chesam which the Rebbeinishim created in the Bria is called Hester Panov and the Shlemus or the task of man is called Haoras Panov or Gilu Yehudoy. In other words, the Rebbeinishim hid himself, concealed the presence of his being, specifically the presence of his unity. In other words, that he is the underlying principle or the underlying root of all creation. He hid that from man. And the perfection, or that which must be done, is to again Megala, to reveal the unity that the Rabbanu Shalom is the Shurish of the Bria. This is the state upon which Ulam Hazeh exists. There is Hester, and the purpose is to Megala. So the Chassan of the Bria is Hester Yehudai, the concealment of the unity, of the absolute unity of the Rabbanu Shalom. And the Shlemus of the Bria would be Gil Yehudai, with that unity, that absolute unity of the Rebbe as the source of all creation, would be revealed. Now, so we now have the subject, who's Adam, we have the situation, the state of Chassan or, or uh, Hesti Yehudai. And it's now possible to correct this situation and to bring it into a state of Gil Yehudai. So we now have the possible, the, we are now the situation. Now, the next thing is, of course, the task, and the task is namely to correct the situation. So the task would be to mashlim the chassan, to perfect the deficiency, the deficiency being hesti yechudoy. The task would be into megal yechudoy. That's what the task is, to correct the, the, the situation, the deficiency that lies in ilm hazeh. The wherewithal, man, the odom who's going to do this job, of being mashlim nechassan, of being megal yechudoy in a world where this hesti yechudoy has to have a means, an instrumentation, a wherewithal. He has to have an emtsoi. He has to have a, 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 a wherewithal, an instrument by which he can do it. That instrument, as I talked about previously, of course, is the avoida, the terror. The mitzvah of terror is the emtsoi, whereby man brings or is megal the yechud of the rabbi and I, I gone previously exactly how. But that is the emtsoi. So we now realize that Torah is an emtsoi to Megali Yehudah, which is the deficiency in the Bria. Now, 
However, in order for these ideas to work, you still have to have, man has to have free will. Because the whole reason why man exists in Ulam Hazir is so that he should earn reward by his own efforts. So therefore the reward that he earns, he is the responsibility, or he is responsible for the reward that he gets. So therefore he has to be a true cause, which is free will. So therefore man has to be given free will. And the sixth requirement is that man has to have two yitzras, two inclinations, which will force him to involve himself in the arena of Ulam Hazir. He can't just go on the side and say, look, leave me out of all this. The Yitzhar and Yitzhar force man to be involved in the Bria, and he must choose one way or the other way. It doesn't force him to choose, but it forces him to, or rather it forces him to choose, but it does not determine what his choice is. He's got to choose. He has no chance to stay outside of the arena. He has to get in the arena and fight. And the Yitzhar make sure that he fights. But which way he goes, of course, is up to him. So those are the six requirements for Ulam Hazir. One is a subject, namely Odom, a situation, the Hassan Shlemis, which is the Hesti Yehudoi and Gili Yehudoi. The task, of course, which is to correct the situation. He has to have an Emtsoi, a means which is Torah, the Avoidah. He has to have free will, so therefore whatever happens is attributed to his, his actions. And he has to have Yitzhar and Yitzhar, the Yitzhar in order to force him to engage himself in that work. Now, this is the requirements for Ulam Hazir, and really the requirements for the entire creation. Now, the Rebbe decided, of course, that since he wants man to work, he will now establish two different periods of time. And, of course, each period of time will have its own place. One period of time is called the period of Ulam Hazir, which initially was supposed to last three or four hours. However, since Odom did not last, it lasted for another 6,000 6, years minus one week. So what could have taken place in several hours now has to take place in 6,000 years. But this is the, per- this is the period called Ulam Hazir. The purpose of Ulam Hazir is nothing more than to work. It's the Mokum Nisoyim. It is a place where man is constantly su- uh, exposed to different kinds of nisyanis so that he should choose one way or the other. The second per- time period, of course, is called Ulam Habo, which is a future world. And Ulam Habo, of course, is infinite. The, the time period of Ulam Habo is infinite. It's not measured by time. Ulam Hazir is specific, has a specific time period. And the purpose of Ulam Habo, of course, is only to receive reward. There is no amelus, there is no work whatsoever in Ulam Habo. There is a time only to receive reward. Therefore, if you're receiving reward, then you go to Ulam Habo. If, if you do not receive reward, then there's what's called Ibud, which means you cease to be. It's one or the other. Either you're going to boycha l'toiv, you're going to choose good, and go to Ulam Habo, or if you're not going to choose good, and for some reason you just don't make it, you're a rush or whatever, then you get what's called Ibud, you cease to exist. Now Gehenim is a hachon of Ulam Habo, which we'll talk about later, what the whole idea of Gehenim is. But Gehenim, people who go to Gehenim basically, are those people who are going to Ulam Habo, okay, basically. Yeah, yeah, Gehenim is a chesed. It's a, a backup system, which I'll talk about later when we talk about Hashgokha. But anyway, 
getting back into the idea, there's either Olam Haba or Ibu. There's one of two directions that an Neshama ultimately winds up in. Now, Olam Haba, as I mentioned, is a place that is only Scha. There is nothing else. There's no work whatsoever. Besides, there's no work, there's no death, there's no evil, there's no pain, there's nothing. There's no detraction whatsoever of being. There's no, there's no disease. Everything which is uh, not desirable by a person it means that let's say you want change and you put your hand and you come out with a quarter instead of a nickel that's painful even though it's minute it's a frustration even that's not Neilim Habo nothing everything in Neilim Habo is perfect that's the whole idea of Neilim Habo and we see that in Chazal when Chazal says Scha Mitzvah Bahaya Alma Leka Chazal say that Scha Mitzvah the reward of a Mitzvah Bahaya Alma in this world Leka doesn't exist you do not get the schav a mitzvah. You don't mix. Schav mitzvahs are only ulam habo. The work is only ulam hazeh. There is no schav mitzvah in ulam hazeh, just like there's no work in ulam habo. There's no. They don't mix. You either get schav, which automatically means you're ulam habo. If not, you're working, which means you're ulam hazeh. Schav of ulam habo cannot be in ulam hazeh, and I'll go into two reasons why. The idea of why you cannot have schar of a mitzvah in this world you can basically offer two solutions the first idea is the amount the quantity of reward that you receive for doing any mitzvah is so large that it cannot be given to you in ulam hazeh ulam hazeh does not have the mechanical capacities to give you that that hanor, that toiv, that state of pleasure Olam Hazed does not have the wherewithal, it doesn't have the capacity to give you the amount of reward that comes with every mitzvah. That's a simple reason which most people will answer you. However, there's a more profound reason why you cannot have the scha of a mitzvah in Olam Hazed. And then the answer to that is that if you analyze what the scha of the mitzvah is, what is the real scha of the mitzvah? And the answer is, which I talked about many times before, is the experiencing of the Rabboni Shlom himself somehow being masig or being margish to, to understand, comprehend and to feel God himself is the Scha now, you cannot experience that here because if you got a reward for a mitzvah what would happen to the Nisoyen the next time? there is no Nisoyen that's the end of the Nisoyenus in other words, the, the amount of, in other words, if the, one of the ideas is that in order for the Eight Sahara and the Eight Sahara and this whole idea of conflict to operate, God has to be absent. If His presence or if He was so obvious to you, you would never sin. That's why the Malachim have no Averis, no, they don't do any Chatoim. The Eight Sahara has no Shlita because they stand next to the Rebbe in that sense. The presence of God is completely revealed to them, basically. Therefore, there is no chatoim, there is no nisyonis. Therefore, if you do it, would do a mitzvah and you would receive the schar, you would never do another chet. That's the end of chatoim. So therefore, the schar itself must be hidden from you or else you could never have an ongoing kind of nisyonis in oilam hazeh. There's also a third reason and that is that uh, so therefore the second reason is that the schar itself would, would preclude any future nisyanus or any ability to earn more reward it would never happen anymore it would be so obvious what the correct choice is now 
the other idea is that the nature of the physical universe is completely opposite to a spiritual universe. That's another reason why Shamit Bayamalekah, third reason. In other words, the mitzvah that you experience is not physical in nature. It's ruchni, it's spiritual. It has to do with the Nishama experiencing God directly. That is not possible in the physical universe. Because the physical universe is a hindrance to the perception of the Bernishlam, not a furtherance. What do I mean? Whenever you look at something physical, it fools you into thinking that there's something else that exists besides the Rabban Islam. Because there's another thing besides God. I'm looking at a tape recorder. There's a tape recorder that exists. So in my mind, there's a God and there's also a tape recorder. There's a notion of other beings. Physical reality always gives you that illusion of other beings besides the Rabban Islam. So therefore, since the Rabban Islam is the Sakhar in Oilam Habo, it cannot be, you cannot experience God in a physical world because the physical world always has the opposite message. You would have to completely evaporate the physical universe in order to experience the Rabban Islam. Because the physical universe is always giving you the illusions of a Yeshu in Vadoi, of some other beings besides the Rabban Islam. So for those three reasons, Shah Mitzvah Behaya Amalekah. The first reason is because the amount of Shah is far too great for Ilam Hazer. The second idea is that it's not possible to continue in Yisrenis because the answer, the correct choice, would be so obvious. And the third idea is that the Rabban to experience him, you cannot do it in the physical universe. Because physical universes always give you the, the conclusion or the feeling of other beings besides the Rabban And they are a hindrance to experiencing the Rabban Just like the goof, the fact that the Nisham is in a goof, the goof is a hindrance in experiencing the Rabban because by being physical you get the feeling that there is a physical body besides the Rabban In any case, those are the three reasons basically why a person cannot get Sakhan Ilam Habo, in Ilam Hazer, and only in Ilam Habo. Now, we've come with all these shurim has been now preparation for going into the actual idea of Adam Rishim. Because Adam Rishim was really the first man, correct? He was the prototype of all men, and in him would now be realized all the different creation. Why man was created with a certain psychological apparatus, why you have this whole Bria, and so on, physical universe, and so on. All of this was justified for one Adam. Like Hazal said, it says the Rebbe created only one man, so therefore every person can say, Bishvili Nivra Oilam. That the entire universe, all the Chokhmah, that the Rebbe created is justified merely for one individual. Now, but as I say, even Adam Rishon, in order for him now to engage upon the grand experiment, if you want to use that notion, had to have all these things in place. Because then it wouldn't be proper. He had to have Yetzirah, 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 he had to have everything in order for him to engage in the actual purpose of creation. And that is the grand test. Okay? So therefore, Adam Rishon, of course, is the first attempt, the original attempt, and the only attempt that really had to be made by the Rebbe and the Rebbe created the entire universe merely for Adam Rishon, and it was sufficient. He didn't have to have anybody else uh, going through a test situation. So therefore, all these ideas existed. All these requirements for creation existed before Adam Rishon, and now Adam Rishon is placed in it, and he now is tested. Now, in other words, so if we go through it, 
the idea that there was an Adam Rishon, there was a Hassan and a Shlemus, there was a situation of Hassan and Shlemus. In other words, Adam Rishon was created in a situation of Hester. He did not see God completely, although his understanding of the Rishon was a million times greater, of course, than ours. But in order for him to be Minuse, in order for him to be tested, God had to conceal something about himself. Or else he himself could never have done a chet. So therefore there was a certain amount of concealment on his level in Oilam Hazer, obviously. Uh, and of course the task of Adam Rishon was to see the chesan and to be mashlem the chesan, which we'll get into. The emtsoi, how was Adam Rishon going to do it? What was his instrument? And the answer was the tzivoi. God commanded him not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right, that was the command, the tzivoy. So there you are. The whole Torah was wrapped up in that one mitzvah. It was only necessary to give Adamishin one mitzvah, one tzivoy. And as soon as we talk about tzivoy, we automatically mean that there's a test situation. So he had one commandment, not to eat from that tree. So that was his emtsoi, or ilmabo. All he needed was one. Adamishin, of course, had bechira, free will. Now there are some we show him that learn that by eating of the tree, eats hadas. He got free will. But obviously that idea, that shot is completely contrary to the entire ideas that I'm presenting. Bechira is part of the idea of why he was created in the first place. And he had to have Bechira before the Nisoyen. Or else it's not a Nisoyen. So obviously uh, the shot uh, the that can only be understood really is obviously had Bechira before he ate from the tree. The tree did not give him any Bechira at all. Or else it's not a test. Then why was he nanash if he had no bechira? Anyway, <coughs> so therefore he had bechira, <coughs> and Adam Rishon had two yetsas. He had a yetsa turn, he had a yetsa hara. The yetsa hara, of course, exists in the form of the nochash, who was external to Adam Rishon in those days. So he had everything, all the requirements. He had a prototype for every individual's nisayim. Now, when we talk about Adam Rishon, or when we talk about Hashkofa, the truth is, or rather when we talk about the design of the Bria that the Revolutionary made, you always must talk about two time periods. Adam Rishon before the Chet, and Adam Rishon after the Chet. Because the universe radically changed after the Adam Rishon did the Chet, when he ate from the tree. In other words, the creation itself changed in many, many ways, which I'll be going into. But I just want to bring now as we begin talking about Adam Rishon, who was the first Adam, and taking a look at what his Nisayim was, we must understand that we're going to discuss or the universe radically changed after Adam did the Chet. And it was different, of course, before he did the Chet. So, we refer to the universe in two different stages. Before the Chet and after the Chet. Now, let's talk about Adam Rishon before the Chet. What exactly was the Nisayim of Adam Rishon? First Kasha. What exactly was he bothered with? What was his conflict? What did he go through? The second question is, how does this resemble the classic conflict that everybody has? Is our conflict different when we do a mitzvah? Is it different than Adam Rishon? You have, a, for instance, a person has an Nisoyen to ride on Shabbos, or eat trefa, if that is an Nisoyen or whatever. Is that different than Adam Rishon's Nisoyen? It's different in form because it's not concerning a tree. But is it really a different Nisoyen? Or somehow is it really the same Nisoyen? That's the second Kasha. 
third kasha is how does the entire build-up of the eight shum previously about going into the psychic apparatus of an individual what does that have to do with other mission because I said that this was all necessary in order for a person to be involved in his side third kasha and the fourth kasha which I want to ask is that Chazal say Adam Rishon Minhoya in Sanhedrin? The Gemara says that Adam Rishon was a Min. He is an atheist, an Apicurus, whatever you want to look at that way, which of course is very difficult to understand. What does Chazal mean? What do you mean was a Min? Okay. Now, so therefore, obviously it's very important. It's very fundamental to understand Adam Rishon's Nisayan. So therefore, the questions of what was the Nisayan? Is it different than our Nisayan? How does it fit in with the entire psychological apparatus of man which was explained before the idea of Yitzhak and so on? Now what does Chazal mean by Odom Rishon Minhoya? What are they really trying to tell us? Besides the fact that how can he be a Min? I mean it doesn't make sense. He spoke to God. I mean he, God created him. He spoke to Rebbe Shalom. I mean you know obviously he wasn't a Min. What do they mean Chazal? So therefore now let's begin going into what the Nisoyen of Odom Rishon was. Because it's very very fundamental. What was the Nisoyen of Odom Rishon? The truth is that the Torah itself tells us what the Nisoyen of Odom Rishon was. Odom Rishon and Chava, because it talks about all human beings, had a tremendous desire to be like the Rebbe Nishvara. They wanted to be God. Everybody has that desire. That's the whole Indian of the Doha Flogga. Why are they warring with God? Because they want to take His place. All people have omnipotent fantasies, delusions of omnipotence. Everybody thinks he's a god, and when faced with the prospects that he's not, wants to be a god. So the idea is that Odomishan had the same taifa. He also wanted to be like the Now, take a look at the Nohosh. The Nohosh addresses itself to Chava. And what does he say? The Nohosh says, Ki Elokim, he's talking to Chava now. That the Rebbeinu knows that the day that you eat it, <coughs> your eyes will be opened, and you'll be as God, knowing good and evil. So of course, uh, uh, and the woman saw that he was very good, was a tyrant, and Nechmano ate to make one wise and so on, and she ate and then she gave it to her husband. Now. What was the Nochesh saying to Chava? What he was saying is that simply, look, the reason why the Rabbanishwaram did told you not to eat from the tree is because don't think what you've been thinking until now. God is not the only being around. Einoid Mulvado is not true. The tree was the source of his power. The tree, the the Hadas Tevara is really the source of God's power. Rashi says this. Therefore, God ate, in other words, God ate from this tree and he was able to create worlds. In other words, what was the Nochesh saying? Is that God is not the only being around. He is not the creator of all. That is a tree that exists independent of the Rebbein Shlom. And not only that, but God derives all his powers from that tree. So therefore, if you eat it, you will also obviously be like God because you'll be going to the source of God's power. So of course, this was a tremendous taiva to Chava. In other words, the Nochesh was addressing itself to a taiva which already existed in Chava. And what is that? What I explained previously, to confirm or to assert self. 
All human beings want to confirm their sense of self, their sense of being. That's automatic. The Nochash was addressing himself to that taiva, to that desire or need, and was saying, in effect, that, look, I know you want to gain a sense of self, a sense of being. I'll tell you how you can do it. You see that tree? That tree is the way you do it. And Chava believed the Nochash, that that tree is the way you gain the sense of self. In other words, when you become an omnipotent being that's able to create worlds, that's able to do anything it wants. And therefore Chava ate from the tree. But in order for Chava to eat from the tree, besides the fact that she had to believe that that tree offered a possibility of her becoming like God, she also had to believe two things. She had to believe that there was an alternative direction besides the will of God. In other words, God says don't eat from this tree. But there's such a thing also called eating from this tree. There's a real tree that you can eat from that exists independent from God's will or God himself. So therefore, Chava had to believe that there was a real tree that exists independent from the Rabbanishlam besides the fact that she believed that this was the source of his powers. But she certainly had to believe that there's a tree that has nothing to do with the Rabbanishlam. It, it, it stands by itself as a true being. And number two, Chava had to believe that she also is independent of the Rebbein Because an independent being can decide to do what it wants to do. I don't have to listen to the Rebbein I am also something that exists by myself. I have the source of my existence from another source, if I can do what I want. So therefore Chava believed, and of course later on Odom, and this was really the son of both of them, Adam believed, of course, that there was a tree that was independent of the Rebbeinu In other words, there's such a thing as not listening to God's will. I mean, maybe it's better to listen to His will, but there's a direction called not listening to His will. There is real things that happen if you don't listen to His will. Besides the fact that that tree offered powers beyond belief, okay? And Adam also had to realize or think that he was somebody that could go or deviate from the rots of the Rebbeinu that he was an independent being. This sense of illusion, this sense of self, that he is independent of the Rebbein therefore he can do what he wants, and engage in a, an alternative direction which is also independent, besides the fact that it's also the source of God's power, is the error that Odom made. The Nisoyen of Odom was that he should have realized with his Chochmah that he came after everything was created. And he was massive more Enoi than anything previously. He should have figured out that there is no such thing as an alternative direction. That the Rebbeinu created the illusion of an alternative direction. That you should think it's really something and that you should engage in it. And there's no such thing as an independent self that you can go contrary to the will of the Rebbeinu Forget about the fact that there's no, nothing that gives power to the Rebbeinu which itself is idiotic. But what he should have understood is that there's no alternative, there's no alternative or different existence than whatever God wants to exist. He should have realized that the Russian created the tree and the illusion that it really exists independent from him and that Adam exists independent from him in order that Adam should be misled and fall into that direction because that's the other direction of the Nisoyim. Adam Rishon, however, of course, failed to understand that, failed to see that so he believed, on the contrary, 
that there is such a thing as an alternative direction of God's will. There is a tree that should not be eaten, that stands independent from God's will. Elzebosham's will is not to eat. But there is a real direction called eating the tree that exists independent of the Rebbe And he should have realized that he does not exist independent of the Rebbe Therefore he cannot exercise an independent will. Adam, however, of course, did not realize that, and he ate from the tree. This was the Nisoyen of Adam Rishon. To, to believe, is there an Enoid Mavadai or a Yeshid Mavadai? That was the Nisoyen. And Adam Rishon, of course, failed that Nisoyen, and therefore he believed Yeshid Mavadai, meaning himself and the tree. And when he ate of it, he failed the Nisoyen. He now believed that there are other beings, trees, whatever, himself, independent wills, alternative directions, besides the Rabbani Shalom. And this is the Nisoyen that Adam Rishon failed, of course, and this was the entire idea of the Nachash. So it was the entire idea of to be like the Rabbani Shalom, which, which is Chumash says often, was the original Kaiva, the sense of self that all mankind wants to gain, the sense that they feel they are somebody, independent of a Rabbani Shalom, the Nochosh addressed itself to that Taiva, which exists independently of the Nochosh, and he showed them, I'll show you how to get it. Eat this tree. So the Nochosh was giving Chava and, the, and then Adam the wherewithal by which he can gain a sense of self. So therefore the central conflict of Adam Rishon was Enoid Muvada or Yeshid Muvada. And of course the idea is to be like God or not to be like God. And Odom failed that because he felt that there was an alternative direction to the Rabbi and that he himself exists independently, therefore he can try it out. There is such an independent way. When the Chazal say that he was a Min, we understand what it means. What is Minus? Minus means you do not believe in God, but it doesn't mean you don't believe in God totally. That's only one kind of Min. Minus means when you do not believe in the complete true nature of the Rabbani Shalom. And if you believe that there are other beings besides the Rabbani Shalom, then you are in essence a Min. Halachically, you're not a Min, they're not going to stone you or anything like that and so on. Because the, that means that the Rabbani Shalom in terms of Halachas, if you believe in the Zorah, another literally God. But the idea is that when you do not believe in the full nature or essence or being of the Rabbani Shalom, when you have distortion, in essence you are a min. You are, you are an atheist in the sense that you are against the belief of God as He really is. Even if it's a mistake that you made. Minus means to have a failing to understand the complete nature of the Rabbani Shalom. And when you think that there's a Yeshua in Vadoi, you have fundamentally attacked the most basic media of the Rabbani Shalom. And that is Echod. That he is the only one that really exists, and he's the only one from which everything emanates. So when you believe that there's an independent uh, existence, namely the tree, and you, you are fundamentally a min, even though halakhically you're not a min. But that's what it means, Adam Rishon Min Hoya. His conclusion was minus. That's what his conclusion was, because his conclusion was against the fundamental nature, the most important nature of the Rebbeinshram. And that is the idea of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lokein Hashem Echod. And that Echod means Enid Mavadol. That's what they mean by Odom Rishon Minhoyo. Chazal are giving us a clue to what the conclusions Odom Rishon reached. Minus. 
that he believes in an Enoid Muvadi, namely the tree and self, and therefore he is being labeled as a Min. So therefore that's what Chazal means, Minus. So what Chazal will be Megala to you, that that was his fundamental error, Minus. That's his error. And that was his conflict. The idea that he saw, or he believed, Yeshe'id Muvadi in terms of the tree, an alternative direction, and that he himself is independent, and he can go connect the Ratzon of the Rabbi Shalom. Now, there's an interesting Rapinchas ben in the Medrash. Rapinchas ben says that the Eitz Hadas Tevara had nothing in it more than a regular tree. And he brings it he either, and he brings a ride because the, when the Nochish said to Chava, uh, uh, when Chava said, and in the tree in the middle of the garden, he said, God said you shouldn't eat from it. She didn't say that, she didn't identify the tree. She just said that God said not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. So she called it a tree. And also when the Rabbani Shalom said to Adam, did you eat from the tree that I said not to eat? God didn't say, did you eat from the tree of Toiv, Yudas, Toiv, He just said, did you eat from that tree? So Rabbi Chizbanyor here, who is a Tana, says that that eights was a regular eights. There was nothing special about that eights. So then why was it called the eights hadas tevara? Because if you wind up eating it, because there's a tzivoy of, it was God commanded not to eat it, and you would eat of it, you would gain the knowledge of tevara. So therefore it was called on shem Oset that since if you would eat it, now explain this, don't worry. If you would eat of that tree, you would gain a knowledge of good and evil, even though there was nothing in the tree that would give you that, but the fact that you would rebel against God. The rebellion is what gives you the knowledge of good and evil, not the tree itself. That's what Pinchas ben says in the Medrash. So we have to understand, what does that mean? What do you mean the rebellion itself? The tree itself does not give you anything. So we have to understand, why does the rebellion give you knowledge of good and evil? And we have to understand, what is the knowledge of good and evil? What did it get out of? That was different than what he had before. And the answer to that, of course, lies again in what we've spoken previously. When Odom Mauritian believed that there was an alternative direction, correct, to God's will, namely there's a tree that you can eat. In addition, he believed in himself that he can violate or murate, rebel against God's will. Why? Because he's also somebody. He's also a being besides the rebellion. Therefore, he can exercise his will, correct? So he goes and takes the tree and he eats it. All of a sudden, Adam Rishon experiences what? He experiences a sense of self. Whenever you rebel against somebody, you experience a sense of self. Do you know why? Because as soon as you do connect the Rebbe Shalom, there's a fundamental opposite reaction. You know what that is? The Rebbe Shalom immediately conceals himself more from you. Automatically. That's me the connected me the. Since you feel you're somebody, I will allow you to feel you're somebody, and I'm going to disappear even more. So therefore, it's going to be harder for you to see that you're nobody. It's an automatic reaction. That idea I discussed in Tzimtzum, that the results of an Avera automatically furthers or removes the Rabbani Shalom even further from you. Now, what is meant by that God conceals himself more? How does God conceal himself more? Simple. When you feel you're somebody, that's him concealing himself. The Rabbani Shalom conceals himself by giving you the feeling you're somebody. That's the way he does it. It's not that he hides himself from some... You feeling you're somebody automatically means God is hiding himself further. 
means you're experiencing less of the truth because you feel you're somebody. If you feel that you're nobody, that you're an honor and so on, then you experience more of the Rebbe It becomes obvious to you the presence or the being of the Rebbe But when you feel yourself somebody, then the Rebbe is hidden because you feel less of him as being the only being. So therefore, Adam Rishon automatically got a feeling of Yishayi Nuvada. He had a sense of self, a real feeling of being, a real sense of being, because that is the way the Rebbe Shalom hid himself from Adam Rishon. That Adam Rishon actually deluded himself by feeling he felt that he was somebody, therefore he believed he was somebody. So therefore, you get your sense of self by doing a chet or doing something which gives you the illusion of self. You get the sense of self because God hides himself from you more and the way he hides is by giving you a sense of self. So when you do a chet, the fact that you're married, you rebel against God, automatically means that the revelation will hide himself more. And the way he does that is by giving you a greater sense of self. So the Sitra Achor, the Satan, the Nachash in this case, was able to get Adnam to feel that he's somebody because he knows that the Rosham is going to hide himself more if he does a chet. And that's exactly what happened. Adam Rishon experienced a tremendous sense of self. There was a certain sense of self that he experienced, which was the reaction to God's concealing himself from Adam. Now, as a result of that, we see that the fact that Adam Rishon was married, rebelled, connected to Rabbi Shalom, drives the Rabbi Shalom away more that's Mida connect Mida, and therefore Adam gain a sense of self, and that is exactly how Adam Rishon does not see the revelation more. That is Ra. What is evil? The pure idea of evil is to think of Yesh Edmul Vadai. The most fundamental, in other words, whenever you, when, whenever we talk about evil or Ra, what's meant is that you gain a sense of self. That is what evil is. Because it's the antithesis of the most fundamental truth of Enoid Mavadai. So what, the, what Rabbinchus Benyo is saying is that the tree itself gives you nothing. It's the merida, the rebellion, when you eat from that tree. You gain a sense of self. Because in order for, to eat from that tree, you believed that there was an alternative direction. And also you believed in self. So now you eat from the tree. That maisa is a merida, that's a rebellion. So therefore, that causes God to go away from you. And the way he's concealed is because you now gain a feeling of self. That is Ra. So Adam Rishon, for the first time, experienced Ra. Because he never had that before. Because he was never married to Negadur Islam. This was the first time that he was now going to be under the idea of Enid Nuvada or Yeshim Nuvada. Before he may have believed he was a separate being but he never felt that way now he feels that way so as a result of the merida he now gains a sense of self which is an illusion which is truly ra therefore that tree gives him a sense of toiv and ra and the reason why it gives a sense of toiv is because you always know toiv from its opposite if you know if you know evil if you know you can only know light from darkness 
the contrast. That's how you appreciate light. You can appreciate what it means to feel in Igmavade when you've got a feeling of Yesha Igmavade. So therefore, the tree had nothing intrinsically to offer Adam Rishon, but the Merida, the rebellion itself, the belief that he was somebody, he was already ate in the tree, that gave him a sense of self, which came about because the Rebbe Shalom vacated himself, and he now experienced what Ra is. That feeling that you're somebody as distinct from the Rebbe Shalom, that Gaiva, that Gasas Haruach, is what Odom Rishon experienced. And that was the, that's why it's the Das Teva Ra. If you eat from the tree, if you look in Egret Tzivoy, you tackle will know good and evil. Evil is that sense of self that you now gain because the Rebbe left you because of the Murid that you did in the first place. That's why, so the Rebbe referred to that tree as Eitz Hadas Tevara Hashem HaOset. That if you rebel, you're going to get the knowledge of evil. And the knowledge of evil is that you think you're somebody. Man's feeling of omnipotence is the greatest evil of all and is the source of all evil. Because once you believe you're somebody, what does that mean? You now will pull everybody out of your way to get whatever you want. You'll murder, steal, and so on. Because once you think you're somebody, obviously nobody can stand in your way. All Taiwan, everything is in response to the gaiva that you feel. It's a sense of self that allows you to push everybody out of the way. So therefore, the fundamental idea of evil is really the fundamental toss, error, that a person can make. And that is that besides God, there's a lot of other things going on, a lot of other beings besides the Rebbe He is not the Sherish of the Bria. There are many Shrashim. There are many independent beings. So Odom Rishon felt that sense of self. After he was married, he went to negative And that sense of self, of course, which was evil in itself, that's the way the Rebbe hid himself from Odom Rishon. Then Odom Rishon had the, the idea of Tevin Ra. He now knew what evil was. He now had a feeling that he was somebody. He felt that way, not only believed that way. He felt he was different, independent than the Rebbe Shalom. So that's the idea of Rav Pinchas Ben Yoya. And again, that's Minas. So not only the belief of Adam Rishon was Minas, and that he believed there was, he was an independent being than God, and he believed that there was an alternative direction. He now felt as if he was somebody independent of the Rebbe Shalom. That also is Minas. So therefore, that's what Chazal mean that Odom Rishon Minhoya, that the, the quintessence of the conflict was Minus. From here we see, interestingly enough, what the prototype of every Nisoyin that comes to man. The Nisoyin is always, do you think you're somebody or do you think you're not somebody? Which I had gone into the entire idea of the Avoid previously. And what the Nochash or the Yetzirah tries to get you to believe is that you are somebody. This emanates from the whole discussion of Yetzirah and Yetzirah. Now you see how it culminates in Odom Rishon. The Nochash is interested in one thing. He gives you a wherewithal, an Emtsoi. But that Emtsoi is empty in order for you to believe you're somebody. And he did it again by Odom Rishon. What was the fundamental conflict of Odom Rishon? And this is the prototype of all Nisenis is the idea, are you Eneid Mavadeh or Yeshid Mavadeh? And that exactly was his Nisoyim. And that's the Nisoyim of everybody, no matter what form of Taiva it takes. And the second idea is that the Nochesh did to him what he does to everybody. He holds up an Emtsoi, which is an illusion. The Eights had no ability to give them 
It was the Merida that does it. So the Yetzirah always holds up nothing and says, Look, I've got something that will make you feel like you're somebody. So the truth is that that is always what the Yetzirah is trying to do to you, to make you feel like you're somebody. And it gives you all different urges. And I had gone to that previously. Power, productivity, potency, and so on. And pleasure. In order to get you to feel like you're somebody. And he always offers you something that's false. That in and itself is intrinsically worthless. So therefore, Adam Harishan's conflict is the prototype of all conflicts. And in a sense, Minus is always at the bottom of every conflict, even if it's not Halachic Minus. And the second thing is that what the Yitzhahara in the form of the Nochesh did to Adam and Chavah is what he does to everybody. He tries to get you to believe you're somebody, and he offers you different urges and so on, and tzoyim, which are in themselves worthless. Just like that Eitz Hadas Tevara in itself intrinsically was nothing. There was no da, there was no Das Tevara. It was the Merida that produced it.